Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, December 15th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. 2023 book sales through the first three quarters have been pretty stable, Andrew, and publishers large and small, of course, maintain hope that a strong holiday season will push those sales solidly into positive territory for the year. How do things look right now? That's right. This week, we saw numbers from the Association of American Publishers monthly stat shot program through the first nine months of 2023. And we saw overall sales are essentially flat. In fact, sales have actually inched up about 0.8% given all the different sectors over the comparable period in 2022. And this, of course, is for the 1,225 publishers that report sales to the AAP. A modest 1% increase in adult book sales in September and a more solid 3.6% increase in higher ed course materials uh, helped offset another drop in children's and YA book sales, about 5% there. But in a pandemic trend that I think publishers are surely happy to see continue, net sales have improved thanks to a 15.4% drop in returns uh, for the first nine months of the year. And that's an encouraging sign that retailers have largely reduced excess inventory. Uh, In fact, there was a 21.7% drop in overall returns uh, in the month of September that helped offset what was otherwise a 4.4% decline in adult book sales in the month. Now, our listeners will note that by September of last year, September of 2022, the COVID sales bump was finishing its sort of long tapering off. And, you know, last year was sort of a tough year, right, with supply chain issues and a lot of economic uncertainty and inflation. Well, I think it's fair to say that this year we're seeing that sales patterns, as many publishing executives have predicted, have finally returned to something that resembles normal for the publishing industry. This after a couple of years of really high double-digit growth, which was unusual. And just another observation here, too. The Dow hit a record this week, right? Unemployment remains low. Uh, The macro trends here are looking pretty strong. Inflation is leveled off. Gas prices are down. And that is a holiday gift for publishers because confidence in the economy is key for consumers to get out there and spend. And from my vantage point, going into this holiday season, all the key indicators are in a pretty good place for a really good last final shopping days of the season here. So indeed, with holiday shopping drawing to a close, Andrew, how does the season look for publishers? Well, anecdotally, we're hearing that sales are pretty strong so far. And, you know, and other good news, I know Circana Bookscan reported that November's book sales, that's, you know, sort of when the holiday season really kicks off, that they finished out the month by overperforming expectations. So that's a good sign as well. Now, Circana has the adult trade market finishing down, I think, slightly this year, three or four points they're predicting. But I think the notable here is that after the post-pandemic coming back to earth, that whole trend, we've sort of bottomed out and book sales do appear to be on much more stable ground going forward. So wherever the year finishes after this holiday season, I think in 2024, we're going to be looking for a much more stable, more predictable year for publishers. Monday's issue will feature PW's Person of the Year. So tell us who it is. Yeah, I wish I could. (laughs) We're busily wrapping up the issue as we speak. (laughs) You know, it's going to go live online later tonight. Uh, You can check it out on the PW website. I really, it's frustrating. I wish I could say more, but I am sworn to secrecy for just a little bit longer today. Though I guess I can give you a hint. I can say this, that 
you know, given the ongoing surge in book bans that we've talked a lot about this year on this program, indeed, last year's People of the Year were the defenders against book bans across the industry. Well, you wouldn't be wrong to assume that book banning, once again, is going to be a big part of our People of the Year feature this year. And I'm really sorry to be so vague, but please do watch social media and check PW's site. And of course, uh, it's going to be a Monday's issue, and we'll pick up and talk about it uh, when we get back in 2024. This week's issue has another annual feature, Andrew, a look back at the top 10 library stories for the year. And as you say, book banning featured prominently. Yeah, and nine of the 10 top stories this year involve book banning. So I'm not going to run down them all here. I would urge you to check out the feature. I think it's pretty interesting, but I will highlight a few. And so we'll start with the the not so good stuff. One of the top stories in the library market this year was that book bans continued to surge in 2023. In September, the American Library Association kicked off Ban Books Week with data through the first nine months of the year showing that the number of unique titles challenged in the first nine months had jumped 20% over the previous year. Developments that the ALA said is indicative of the rise in organized political groups creating and sharing these lists of objectionable books. Uh, until recently, uh, most book challenges usually came from a single person, an individual who would be questioning a single title. Now we're seeing these enormous bulk challenges coming from certain groups. Once again, the bulk of book challenges tracked by ALA involve books written by or about people of color or the LGBTQIA plus community. And the 2023 data also showed another disturbing trend, and that's that the surge in book bans is spreading from school libraries to public libraries. Indeed, for the first uh, nine months of 2023, challenges targeting public libraries accounted for 49% of reported censorship attempts, and this up from 16% at the same time in 2022. Now, in addition to the ALA's data, PEN America also offered its own reports, and it found 3,362 instances of books banned in public schools in the 2022-2023 school year, and that's a 33% increase over last year. So yes, book bans are still on the rise. But there was also some good news in 2023, and a lot of the top 10 uh, stories from the year, library stories of the year, reflect that, including that now here we are in year three of this organized sort of right-wing political attack on libraries and the freedom to the read. We've actually seen a string of legal victories in federal court that are really buoying the spirits of librarians and freedom to read advocates. Now, we have more than half a dozen high-profile federal lawsuits that have been filed over book censorship in the year, and already federal judges in Texas and Arkansas have delivered really stinging rebukes to would-be book banners in at least three of those cases. And these include a case in Lano County, Texas, where a federal judge, where Robert Pittman, a federal judge there, affirmed that the First Amendment prohibits the removal of books from libraries based on viewpoint or content discrimination. And he ordered more than a dozen books removed from the Lanao County Library returned to library shelves. There was a very key decision in Arkansas where Judge Timothy Brooks in July enjoined key provisions of a new law there known as Act 372. That's a new, quote, harmful to minors law that would have exposed Arkansas librarians and booksellers to criminal liability for making uh, allegedly inappropriate books accessible to minors. And I think in the most high-profile victory to date, we've talked about it on this show just last week, a federal judge in Austin, Texas, enjoined HB 900, uh, Texas's controversial book rating law. Now, at press time, there are a bunch of other cases that are still looming large in 2024. This is a, there's a lawsuit in Missouri. 
challenging an obscenity law there known as Senate Bill 775 in the Scambia County, Florida, over the removal of books from school libraries, in Alaska, over the removal of books from school libraries, and two suits in Iowa now seeking to block key provisions of a new harmful to minors law like we've we've seen in Arkansas and in Missouri and elsewhere. But suffice it to say, the good news this year is that book banners are starting to hit a wall when they get to court. And I think it particularly encouraging in 2023, and this I, I've been hearing from library advocates, has been the participation of publishers and the publishing industry associations in many of these legal actions. As our listeners know, the book banners got a huge head start, and they really sort of caught the industry off guard in many ways. Simply put, I don't think a lot of us in 2020 and 2021 expected that library books and libraries and librarians and school librarians would be become the focus of this kind of political attack. Uh, but here we are. The good news, I think, is that in 2023, we can see that the tide may at last be turning. I should add, no one is celebrating yet, right? There's a lot of work to be done on many fronts. And as we just discussed last week, we're still waiting to see what the appeals courts are going to say about these three victories we've seen so far. However, if I was a betting man, I'd wager that uh, book banning is once again going to be a big story in next year's 2024 roundup when we talk about it. And I'd also bet that we're going to see the tide continue to turn in favor of the freedom to read. So let's hope so. Earlier this year, Andrew, publishers were quick to praise an antitrust suit filed against Amazon by the Federal Trade Commission. The e-tailer giant is accused of maintaining an illegal monopoly in online commerce, although the suit does not specifically call out books. Amazon has now asked a federal judge to toss the suit, though. Yes, something else to watch for in 2024. As expected, Amazon has slammed the FTC's antitrust case as wrong on the facts and the law, and in a 31-page filing, has urged a federal court to dismiss the suit uh, that accuses the e-tailer of maintaining an illegal monopoly. In their filing, Amazon states that it has relentlessly innovated and saved consumers' money. And it insists that because antitrust law should not seek to punish economic behavior that benefits consumers, the complaint should be tossed. The filing comes in response to the FTC's blockbuster 172-page September lawsuit supported by 17 states' attorneys general, in which they allege that the e-tailer uses this set of interlocking anti-competitive and unfair strategies that essentially function to stop rivals and sellers from lowering prices. And that degrades the quality of the shopping experience for users and overcharges sellers and has all kinds of anti-competitive effects. The suit seeks a permanent injunction that would prohibit Amazon from engaging in this type of behavior, what the government calls unlawful conduct. And, you know, as complicated as antitrust lawsuits can be, Amazon's response, its motion to dismiss is pretty straightforward. They basically argue that the FTC is ignoring all of the facially pro-competitive effects of Amazon's conduct and ignoring the, the fact that Amazon actually keeps prices low uh, and that there's just no evidence to support any other case by the FTC. Now, there's more than enough evidence, we should point out, for this case to at least proceed to trial. So I think it's fair to say this motion, as most experts have acknowledged, is doomed to fail. Uh, and I expect that this case, the Amazon antitrust case, is going to be one that we will watch unfold in 2024, or maybe we'll settle, but it's certainly going to go forward into the new year. And to close out your reporting for December and this year, 2023, Andrew, big changes lie ahead for Publishers Weekly in 2024. Jim Milliot, longtime editorial director, will retire. 
Yeah, so first off, a little housekeeping, right? Monday's issue, the 18th, is going to be our last of the year, given the way the holidays fall. So we'll be back in print with our January 8th issue. And yeah, this is the last issue that I'm going to get to do with uh, Jim Milliot. You know, we'll talk more about Jim's legacy when we get back in January. Uh, I look forward to that. But I just want to take a moment here at the end of this podcast, a point of personal privilege, if you will, to express my admiration for and my gratitude to Jim Milia, who has been just a tremendous leader and great colleague and a great reporter and a great friend to me and who really has led Publishers Weekly through some of what I think are probably the toughest challenges maybe in the magazine's long history. There's digital disruption back in the day, right? We had a global financial crisis and, of course, the pandemic. And through it all, Jim has kept us going with this amazing calmness. And I've learned so much from Jim, you know, not only on how to cover this business, but also just on how to be a good leader and how to be a good person. So I'm eternally grateful uh, to Jim. Now, while Jim is stepping back from his duties, I'm happy to say he's not going away. He will be around as a contributing editor. uh, And he's going to remain an invaluable voice, I think, in helping PW move ahead uh, in 2024 and beyond. So as we close out this year, I just would like to take this opportunity to say thank you to Jim Milliot. And here's to what comes next. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor, thanks for joining me today and throughout 2023 with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on CCC's podcast, in the final weeks of 2023, Velocity of Content is looking back at the past 12 months of programs. Journalism professor and book author Jeff Jarvis recalls that early in his own writing and publishing career, he wrote on typewriters and saw his story set in hot metal linotype. His latest book, The Gutenberg Parenthesis, places us outside the era of print and beyond the world that print created. As transmission of knowledge and creativity shifts off the page and onto the screen, should we celebrate or mourn? I think that you and I grew up in a time of what I think is the myth of mass media, the Walter Cronkite myth, that Walter Cronkite would end his show saying, and that's the way it is. And to many Americans, it wasn't the way it was. But certain people have a nostalgia for that Cronkite era, for that belief that we had a shared national viewpoint, which we never did, for the mass media that was really... I, I despise the idea of the mass because it, it, it is a way to not listen to people and not understand them as communities and individuals. So I, I, I celebrate the death of the mass. So I, I think we have to move past those presumptions and nostalgias and appreciate the fact that we have all these voices now. My fondest hope for both the Internet and its companies and its entities, but also for good old media, is that we find the means to make strangers less strange. I think that's the most pressing job we have in our society today. Looking back on 2023, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for joining me throughout the year. Best wishes for 2024.